1: I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome
0: to the family.
2: VGW Group, no purchase necessary. where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. At Firefly Willows, L-I-V-E. We're working hard to be your trusted source for fun, enlightening, and heart-centered information and community. And we're passionate about the art of transformative media, the new leading edge of communication in our highly connected, media-rich world. If you're passionate about facilitating change and you have gifts or ideas you'd like to share, come join us, host a show, or be a guest, or connect us to an amazing speaker or teacher whose message is too good to miss. There's always room for courageous, knowledgeable changemakers, inspired artists, and new ideas. Let us know you're interested. Send an email to info at FireflyWillows.com. We're Firefly Willows L-I-V-E, helping you find and shine your inner light. Join Mildred Lynn McDonald for a fascinating tour of the Mind-Body-Spirit Connection. Enjoy nourishing conversations, thought-provoking guests, personal growth tools, compassionate guidance, practical tips, plus a generous sprinkling of East Coast humor and warmth. You'll also love our popular roundtable discussions featuring Heisey Lutmers, John Carosella, and Mildred Lynn. Airs the first Sunday of the month at 10.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. For more information, Please go to Healing Conversations with Enjoy the show.
3: Hello, everybody. This is Mildred Lynn McDonald, and I'm your host for Healing Conversations live from Sebastopol. And for this morning's roundtable, we have a very special treat for you. We've invited two people from the east coast of Canada to join High Sea and myself to explore a topic that everyone can relate to. And if they can't relate to it now, it will be coming around the corner in their lives. What the topic is for today is, why do we hold on to what no longer works? And to add to that, if we're holding on to what no longer works, are there any signs that come into our life that if we're paying attention gives us a little hint that it might be time to let this go and move on. So before we tackle our topic, I'd like to welcome Heisei Ludmers. Hello. And I'd like to welcome Kathleen McNeil, who is an energy worker from Sydney, Nova Scotia. Hello. And I'd like to welcome Glenna Calder, joining us from her clinic in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Hi, everyone. So I read an article... And it had about 20 hints that illustrated when it might be time to let go or change something in your life. So the first one that really hit me was when a pattern persists, even when you try to fix it. And when I was looking at that, I thought, I know exactly the pattern that persists. And I've tried to change it and change it and change it. And it never works. And this pattern would be, now you guys are probably going to laugh at this, deciding on Monday morning that I'm going to make food changes in my life, perhaps no more (laughs) butterscotch pie, perhaps only gluten-free. But what I've noticed is that it all starts out great on Monday, but by the time Monday evening comes along or Tuesday morning, somehow the new idea loses steam. And that's part of the pattern. So what I used to do was get really frustrated with myself because I couldn't understand, well, why do I keep doing this? It's like knocking your head against the wall. And then when I took my step back, I realized that I really needed to deal with the pattern underneath. Now, instead of getting frustrated with myself, I laugh and I say, well, that's going to change, that pattern is going to change when I." shift the vibration and then I work on shifting the vibration. And then the second one in terms of how do you know when it's time to let go and move on? For me personally and maybe others can relate to this, it's when I stop having fun. And the reason for that is I really believe that we're here to experience the joy of being alive. So when I stop enjoying myself, I know that I'm out of the flow or I'm out of alignment. So it's time to let go of a belief or a pattern or a way of being. And it all stems back to, as far as I've discovered and observed in my life, our ability to choose what we make things mean. To give an example to our listeners, one area where I stopped having fun is in the area of owning a home. So I had a home and I thought, that's just what you did. And I held on to that, although it no longer served me. And then I had to learn how to let go because I have more of a gypsy traveling life. So owning a house would only tie me down. It took me a long time to be able to let that belief that you needed to have a house or a home go. So that's my second one that I found that I've chuckled at and I grew around that and I grew into it and I developed some wisdom.
0: That was one that struck me as well. I love to laugh. I love to enjoy my life. And I think if you're not doing that, you're not fulfilling what you came here to do. Because it's all about enjoying your life as well, at the same time, learning and progressing as you go. So I'm with you with that one. Was
3: yours around owning a home, Kathleen? Or was there another example?
0: No, because I own a home. I think it's just I just enjoy each day. Whether that be sitting out on the desk reading a book or having a conversation with everybody or anybody. I just enjoy. I try to enjoy each day. At the end of the day, I go over everything that I've done and I'm really pleased with who I talked with or where I've been and it makes me happy.
3: You find when you're not having fun, it's a sign that something is amiss and a chance to reflect. Okay, that makes sense. That's what I find too. Was there any other one that stuck out for you?
0: Yes, the one that when a situation is holding you back from growing and being who you want to be. And the word that jumped into my head was recognition. Sometimes I am so heavily invested in what I'm doing, I don't always see the signs that are coming towards me. I'm not aware of the change that's starting to happen. And when that happens, I get tired physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And I the least little thing makes me cranky. So what the universe does at that point in time when I'm not recognizing, it kind of taps me on the shoulder and says, I think this young child needs a little help. Has <laughs> 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 that ever happened to you? Yeah, is it, so a, gen- that, is it a gentle tap, Kathleen? It- A loving one? It's a gentle, loving task. Okay. What happens is they normally put roadblocks up, and I have one blazes of a day. You know, everything goes wrong, and at the end of the day, I say to myself, oh, oh, there's a sign. Then I just try to look at what I'm doing, what's not serving me, and try to make the changes from there.
4: Okay. Because
0: I know if I don't, the tiredness is going to continue, and I don't like being tired. I don't like being sick, I just like being healthy. And being healthy means that you're in sync with life. You're in sync with what your purpose was for when you came to this earth. So, yeah, so that's the one that jumped out at me originally when I read that.
3: And when you read that particular sign, when you look back, did it take you a long time to clue
0: in to this is a sign that I should let go of what no longer works? Sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes the signs are right in front of me and I'm very quick to move forward. But other times it takes a bit of time. As I said, I think it's because sometimes you're so heavily invested. Mm -hmm. Like maybe it's family and you're so heavily invested in the family and you want everything to work. And it's just not working because you're obviously not in sync. What about you, Glenna?
3: Any signs showing up for you that it's time to let go and move on?
5: The one that first came to me was about feeling bored or resentful or complacent. And as I started to think about the answer or what experience I had in that area, I got bored. So right away I thought, well, I'm going to put this article to use. I'm going to keep moving.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
5: so I thought, okay, i got to remember to use that in other areas of my life. <laughs> so the next one that I came upon was that jumped out at me was when you feel alone unheard or disrespected. And a lot of things came to me, but one example in particular about a patient of mine, actually, who moved back home from British Columbia to Nova Scotia to be with her senior parents. And she got a wonderful job here, but nothing seemed to be filling up her bucket. For
4: mm-hmm.
5: Her heart kept saying she should be back in BC. So she stayed here for two or three years and then She went back to BC and I really admired her because it was a big life change to come back here, but it wasn't on her path. So, a lot of people I think might have stayed and stuck it out because it's such a life change. But she went right back to BC and she's been there for eight or nine months and happy. But in the meantime, when she was in Halifax, she had a lot of wonderful experiences and things that needed to be completed. And she's grateful for that, but she didn't sit on it and think, well, I've made this big decision, I've crossed the country, here I am with my family, there's so many reasons on paper to stay here. She followed her heart and went right back to BC.
3: So that's interesting because she was able to let go. Some people Mm -hmm. would say, well, I moved here, I invested my time, I invested my money, I invested my path, my career. But, for her, it sounds like as soon as she realized that this might not be the best move for her, she was able to let it go so quickly.
5: yeah, it was admirable, and luckily her although her parents are older they they're just they're happy that she's happy, and they know that she belongs in b c too
3: okay, so that worked out yeah. for her so hi c what signs come your way, or what signs are you aware of? that give you a little inkling that it might be time to move on, that something's no longer working for you. Anything you'd like to share with our listeners?
6: Well, the first thing I have to say is I was very surprised at the example you gave for a Monday morning, because I had assumed that the first thing you do on a Monday morning is set out what hats you were going to wear that day, (laughs) that week... You know, you probably tell yourself, I'm only going to do three a day. I'm letting go of five or seven, and by Thursday, you're wearing ten a day. So it shocked me. It was about eating. Uh, well, thanks, Icy. <laughs> <laughs> I
3: always want to keep you on your toes. <laughs> <laughs>
6: Well, I have to say the one that struck me when I looked at the 20, and I think that this struck me because I saw that this really would be one that probably leads to many of the other ones, okay. was the one that said, when your core beliefs and values have changed and you sacrifice who you are. And that becomes such a, an energy drain that it can lead to a lot of the other ones of not having fun of feeling as if you let go of something you would be free of a situation it would feel expansive because you would be able to expand and open who you are to the world as well as some other ones and feeling alone or unheard because you aren't able to be yourself and I think a lot of people get stuck in that because it takes time for us to grow and to change it's not an overnight thing usually. And so we may be doing something that was right for us a while ago that may not be in alignment with how we've changed, but we've now become either used to and complacent in what we're doing or we feel stuck in what we're doing, like if somebody is in a job and they think, well, this is no longer me. However, there's no way I can just leave this job now because I have a mortgage or I have a family or I have these other obligations. I have a lifestyle, whatever it's almost as if we're afraid to let go of an old identity or an old self-definition and step into and move on to who we can become and who we see ourselves growing into. And the fear of losing a lifestyle, the fear of losing friends or family because they may not be able to accept or understand who we've become. The fear of losing a relationship because we've grown differently. And now it may not be a relationship that necessarily serves either people in the relationship. So it's that fear of losing something or the fear of not having the support or the people or the things around us that we had grown used to, which I think is probably one of the things to look for when it feels this is just something I'm used to, but I don't really get anything from it other than I'm just used to it being there. And we think that we can't change it or we think we need it to be happy or we think we need it for whatever reason. For me, that was the big one, I guess, that jumped out of the list
4: Mm -hmm.
6: was that sense of the core beliefs and values in ourselves change. Because a lot of times we think we figured out who we are or what we believe. And we either can't allow for that to change, we're afraid to allow that to change, or we never are willing to question that because we think that that may lead down a whole road of shifting, adapting, and changing in some way that we aren't ready to go down. Here it would go to one of the ones that's in here about the fear of the unknown. We don't know where that might take us if we suddenly start questioning it because that's just how I've always known myself to be, or that's who other people have known me to be. So... That's the one that really jumped out as what can often get in the way because I think that it's it leads to so many of these other ones that were listed here.
3: Yeah, I can relate to that fear of the unknown or being familiar with the pattern because I have had the experience, and maybe Kathleen and Glenna can comment on this also, of shifting a pattern or considering shifting a pattern and then realizing that there was almost a vacuum effect You become so familiar with an energy and even if the energy is not in alignment with your highest purpose or positive, that familiar energy becomes a companion. And once you release it, there could be a period of time where you've got a little vacuum there and you're wondering, whoa, this feels a little bit empty. The space feels empty before another vibration comes in there. Anybody have that experience?
0: In my last career we had changes all the time and I guess I saw how people, some people dealt with it very simply change, let's move on let's go ahead and there were other people who really had a very difficult time with change and it was like you had to work with those people and you had to help them to see what is on the other end for them what was going to change? How was it going to change? Was it going to be better? So when you talk about that void that you felt, I'm assuming now that's what they were feeling. Change comes to me fairly quickly, uh, except when I'm not recognizing it. But you know what you know what I mean? You know yes. Like most of the times I can handle it, but I think it comes back to. Trusting yourself and knowing the strength that you have in you, and knowing that I can do this. Yes, it's changed. Yes, I might lose some relationships, but I'm going to gain new relationships. I think if you trust yourself and know that you can accept this change and more move forward. But I recognize there are people who need help as well.
3: Okay. And what about you, Glenna?
5: That area, to me, I refer to as limbo for myself because when I'm not conscious of it, Kathleen mentioned, when I'm not aware of it, I resist it. But when I can tell myself I'm feeling uncomfortable, I'm nervous because this is limbo, then I almost enjoy challenging myself to get comfortable in that place when I acknowledge what it is. Because a lot of the time in limbo... A lot of things can happen you kind of you get to know yourself a little bit better you get to know what you're fearful of and it's a nice transition between what you're moving from and what you're moving towards
3: so you can own limbo
5: you can own limbo
3: (laughs) that sounds like a good topic for your show Glenna
1: owning limbo
3: Well, I'd love to talk about this some more. Maybe we'll do this on another show. But for now, we're going to get ready to move on to our interview, which will be with Dr. Paula Creighton, who is a specialist in geriatrics. So I'm going to invite our listeners to stay tuned for that. And I had a great time talking with Hi-C and Glenna and Kathleen, Thank you so much for taking the time to show up for our roundtable. Thank you, C.
6: Thanks for having me.
3: Always a pleasure. And Kathleen, thank you for joining us. Kathleen McNeil has joined us from Sydney, Cape Breton Island, Nova Scotia. Thank you very much, Kathleen, for coming and sharing your thoughts
0: today. Thank you for having me. For talking heart. me into it. For talking
3: me into it. And Glenna. Thank you for showing up, and I wanted to mention once again, Glenna is the host of What's Your Prescription for Balance? And I should also mention that Hi-C is the host of... Hi-C, you can share what you're the host of.
6: Well, second Sundays of the month, I host a show called Revolution. Second Tuesdays of the month, I host a show called The Amethyst Oracle. And then, of course, the fourth Sundays of each month, we have our all-call-in show where people get to call in and receive readings live on the air.
3: Thank you very much, and stay tuned for the next segment of our show. As I said, it's with Dr. Paula Creighton, and we're going to be talking about geriatrics.
2: Well, that's our roundtable for this week. Many thanks to Mildred Lynn McDonald and participants John Carosella and Heisey Lutmers. We hope you found this roundtable discussion engaging and thought-provoking. If you would like to join the conversation, visit facebook.com slash fireflywillows and add your comment under this week's Roundtable post. Stay tuned. Hello, this is Mildred Lynn
3: McDonald, and I'm your host for Healing Conversations, live from Sebastopol, California. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you're enjoying the show. Recently, I had the good fortune to sit down with Dr. Paula Creighton, in Glace Bay, Nova Scotia, Canada. Dr. Creighton, who specializes in the field of aging or geriatrics, has a tremendous amount of information to share on both a professional and personal level that may alter the way you perceive the aging process. And when I say alter, I mean alter in a good way, in a progressive way, in an insightful way. Although aging is a natural part of the human life cycle, many of us shy away from accessing the expertise and support that we need to ensure that our golden years, or the golden years of our parents, are fulfilling, balanced, healthy, and rewarding. These resources might include invaluable diagnostics, key medical advances, coordination of services, and meaningful community connection. After talking with Dr. Creighton, I had two flashes of inspiration. First, I definitely wanted to learn more. And second, I thought this information would be excellent to share with our listeners. So get ready for an empowering conversation about aging well that flows straight from the spirit and into the heart. And I'd like to thank Dr. Creighton for doing this work. Now... Without further ado, I'd like to beam over to Glace Bay, Nova Scotia, Canada, and have a little chat with Dr. Creighton. Let's welcome her to the show.
7: Good morning. Are you there? I am, Mildred Lynn.
3: And I imagine that you are sitting somewhere in Cape Breton, on Cape Breton Island, with a beautiful view of nature. Am I
7: right? You are so right. I'm kind of privileged. I'm in one portion of my home that overlooks the Atlantic Ocean. And although it's kind of overcast, the sun is shining periodically, and it's shimmering off the ocean, and there's these lovely white caps right now as I'm speaking. And in the forefront, we've got some vibrant uh, fall colors of orange and red.
3: That sounds beautiful, and I'd like to, since you mentioned the the beautiful, vibrant colors, I wanted to share with our listeners that in October, there is an international Celtic festival on Cape Breton Island called Celtic Colors, and that's what's coming to mind. So thank you for sharing that, Paula, and so I was able to share
7: it with others. You're welcome. It starts October 10th, so Friday of this coming week healthy collars.
3: You'll have your step dancing yeah. shoes on.
7: Absolutely.
3: <laughs> now, I'd love to dive right in to your area of expertise, which is in the area of aging. And I, I wanted to share with you how touched and impressed I was when I had the opportunity to sit down with you only a month ago in Cape Breton. I was most most amazed at the your insights and also your compassion for this stage of life and it I felt very compelled to have you on the show invite you on the show to help get your message out there so what I'd like to ask you first, what is a geriatric medicine specialist um well
7: um mildred lynn um a geriatric medicine specialist, is a medical doctor certified either in internal medicine like myself or family medicine, who then spends a few more years subspecializing in the care of people later in life. Uh, What your listeners probably would like to know is the roles are a little bit different in the United States than in Canada. In the United States, that geriatric medicine specialist is in primary care, so they journey with the older person and their families through that segment of their life until the end. In Canada, we, however, um, are in a consulting role. So we are given the privilege to participate when asked to give advice to the person, their family, and their primary care doctor um, when they need it. I also need your listeners to know that despite that role, I think in both the United States and in Canada, there's two streams of geriatricians, myself who is in the stream of clinician educator so I assess individuals and give advice but I also educate that group plus I will go broader and educate my colleagues in the healthcare field and I will go out to the community and Um, educate to the broader sector of society the information that we have to age well um, regardless of the, the state we are in. There's another stream that we as educators rely on and those are our clinician researchers. They are our backbone of this discipline and I regard them highly because they are um, putting us on the forefront of the healthcare system with some validity because they are bringing research and evidence and tools and processes that really do validate what we have been doing for decades. Um, and I just want to take a few minutes to mm-hmm. let some listeners know some of the people that have influenced me. Excellent. Um So, so here in in uh, Nova Scotia, uh, down at Dalhousie University, Dr. Kenneth Rockwood um, is one of our lead researchers in developing the frailty scale, which is actually being used in some sections of the United States. We also have here in Dalhousie Dr. Paige Moorhouse and Dr. Lori Mallory, who have developed tools in the process for Um, uh, using the frailty scale and um, helping people come to a palliative and therapeutic care plan for end-of-life care. And then we have Dr. Melissa Andrews who actually brings in um, research on the social interactions, which are so necessary as we are aging. And that research can really influence Um, municipalities and towns to build better communities and the Mm -hmm. infrastructure to maintain that. Um, uh, There's two in the States, uh, Boston University, Dr. Thomas Pearls is a researcher, and he's doing a New England centenary study which is on trying to figure out the genetics of exceptional longevity. So I love following his research and and his group there and the work they're doing. And also here in New York um, at the Stony Brook University, there's a social and behavioral scientist, um, Warren Sanderson, who's actually... Um, developing standard measures, similar like pediatrics have in growth charts. Um, They're getting these standards on what we use for aging well, like hand grip and functional reach. So all of that research um, brings this area of medicine into the healthcare system with some substance, which we Mm -hmm. hope then will allow... The broader healthcare system and you know community at large to uh recognize us and uh and, and have some inclusion. Now, that's a long winded answer, isn't it?
3: Well, that's an excellent answer because it's so important to understand who's doing the research and creating the foundation for the application of what they've researched. So thank you for sharing that. When I met with you, what really hit me, people have a job and they do their job. When I spoke with you, my heart had the sense that this is a vocation for you rather than just the job. And I know when a vocation is involved, the heart is involved, the spirit is involved, what attracted you to geriatric medicine?
7: Oh, two things attracted me to geriatric medicine. One was um, my mother, who was a geriatric nurse uh, working in long-term care, and I saw the passion and that same empathy in her and um, and how um, in her work she brought meaning to those individuals that were in institutional care, that they mattered. And secondly, as I entered into medicine and was making a decision of which discipline I had the privilege to choose from, I came um, fortunately across a mentor, Dr. Irene Turpey, who equally from a physician perspective was doing that same kind of work my mother was doing in the nursing profession um, to enhance the quality of life of who was in front of them at the time um, and to help them be the best they could be at that time um, Mm -hmm. and make sure that um, we followed what they wanted um, using the best tools that we have available to us at, at the time. So those two individuals greatly influenced why i selected this area of medicine out of all the options that were in front of me and when you were
3: speaking earlier you were what i was gleaning from your from your comments is that the role of a geriatric medicine specialist is has there's an opportunity for that to be expanded and i believe that It's a holistic approach, and it's a unique perspective in the area of senior care. Can you talk a little bit about why it's so important? just want to revisit that.
7: Right. Well, I want to answer that by just saying it's it's like why um, people understand the importance of pediatric medicine, where it focuses on the early stage of life and the building blocks, geriatric medicine, Focuses on the later stages of life in a way of maintaining and um, promoting the independence and the well-being um, that that person has uh, attempted to do um, since a child and going through the adult um, stages it it geriatrics then really understands and appreciates those unique aspects of of later life just like pediatricians understand the building blocks in early life. And um, I, it also just helps us think of aging, uh, not chronologically, how old I am, but to start looking at aging from a physiological state, a working body, um, a body that has had, that has developed to a limited reserve, and so now what am I going to do to maintain this and protect this um, from that day forward?
3: Mm. Now, if we were in Canada and we went to our primary care physician or our general practitioner, do they normally, from your understanding, have a lot of training in the specialty of geriatrics or seniors, or how does that shake out?
1: Yes.
7: no, family medicine traditionally has not um, focused on geriatric medicine component as much as they have on pediatrics, obstetrics, um, orthopedics. I must say, however, um, the training program across Canada is now incorporating into. Um, some areas of medical residency training, for instance, family medicine now uh designates one month in their second year of a two year program uh where they would uh come with a geriatric medicine specialist to learn as much as they can to take forward into their practice that's yeah that's not that's yes. where it is what that's where you, it is uh, what would you what would
3: you like to see if you had if you could put your dream out there or your vision if it was one month, would you like to see it three months, five months, or do you feel that one month is sufficient?
7: Oh, one month is not sufficient um, uh, in an ideal world, if there were enough geriatric medicine specialists, so that's the key. We need more <laughs> of us um, that we can then integrate Throughout the family medicine two year training program um, with them. But, and that's just family medicine, then we need to also step maybe ahead and even in undergraduate um, before they choose the residency program to again integrate through their training at all levels. Um, They have tried to do it in a segmented way, but it keeps going in and out of flavor. Um, but that's what I see is if there's enough of us, then we can integrate throughout. And then they would have, you no. Know, so that no matter what rotation they're in, even if it's orthopedics or um, cardiology or neurology rotations, that they're interfacing with a geriatrician at the same time so that they can appreciate um how to apply that sub sub specialty for that person in a more holistic manner.
3: Yeah, I like that thinking especially since I'm getting older. I'm behind you 100%. <laughs> <laughs> oh my. So this is a question that I I really was looking forward to asking you today. And maybe it's been like this for all time, but there seems to be a thought that aging is negative or even in some context it's viewed as a disease, something you want to stay away from. So in your day-to-day work and in your research and your learning and your observations, what
7: have you observed about this? Um, the same thing. I actually <laughs> have pens that have... Uh, written on it age is not a disease to try to get the message out because what that is all about is ageism um and that certainly is a barrier that needs to overcome it as we move forward because the collective view tends to be nothing can be done you're old um and this isn't a view just from individuals but families and the community but even healthcare providers and 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 it's especially a, a barrier because especially in healthcare it has this expectation to always fix and cure. So when they can't fix and cure something that an older person has, um they feel like well there can't be anything done, it is what it is, um, off you go. It's almost like in your round table discussion, um, it's that fear of well, it's not so I guess fear of losing, fear of even from a healthcare professional they fear of I'm not I can't do anything so therefore I'm just gonna say it's your age and that's that's enough. I wanna go mm-hmm. on to someone that I can fix and cure. However, we do have an opportunity, I personally believe, that if we just focus truly on what aging is and that it's a physiological state, a working body, that can be nurtured and maintained and support throughout time, and knowing that to do all that, it's about adapting as time marches forward. So that even includes what we do with a person has to adapt. Um, and not always um, apply the standard quo to every person. Mm. Now,
3: in your observations or your experience, have you come across any cultures that are actually viewing aging as a positive part of the life cycle in the context of honoring your elders or in my case, I think I'm becoming an elder, maybe in some aboriginal cultures or first nation cultures
7: yes i oh yes here in cape breton our um aboriginal communities um look after their own and uh and right now they are um fortunately being vocal to say we want to look after our own help us do that um when we need help, it's not um um satisfactory to say, "Well, you have to go away from our community to a long term care facility um, So they are advocating exactly what geriatric medicine is advocating um, you know right person, bring it to what is meaningful for me where I want it to be." Um, And that's a start. And, of course, that means we need more resources and infrastructure, of course. But um, uh, I think we would all appreciate that same kind of approach.
3: Mm -hmm. And if I was going to ask you what your personal definition of the aging process is, anything from your spirit or your heart that you could share?
7: Adapting um, the aging process physiologically, it's forever changing. So, therefore, I must continue to adapt so that what happens to me, I respond to rather than react to. That's my definition of aging and aging Mm well.
4: Okay,
3: I like the aging well. Sorry, go ahead. uh,
7: Well, and and knowing that... um, there comes a point when um, what needs to be done is beyond what I can do and that I I allow that to happen. So that's end of life. Um, When we are well, we must always plan for that end of life so that when that happens, it happens with me and for me and not to me. I like that.
3: Yeah. Now, I know people are listening, they're getting what you're saying, they're absorbing what you're saying, and they'd like to action that. They may be interested in in looking at, well, this is how I look at aging, and maybe it's not in the most positive light. I'm ready to look at it in a more positive way, and I'm ready to do that right now. So, would you be able or would you be willing to offer maybe two or three things that we can do even today as from the perspective as a human being or a collection of community people to help shift that misconception of aging or the aging process into more positive light?
7: Yeah, The first thing I'd like your listeners to do if they get a chance is to uh, pick up a book from the library. Um, or Amazon.com. It's a book by Jerry Friedman, and it's called Earth's Elders, The Wisdom of the World's Oldest People. I've read the book many times. It's on my shelf, but there was one. It's a book of centenarians, and uh, each centenarian is asked the question, so what's your secret? And this one centenarian said... Choose your parents well, and of course you laugh when they say that because you know we don't have that choice. But what that really, when you think about it, it is well if you come from good stock, well lucky you. And what I mean by good stock, genetic, your genetic pool is is pretty robust. Um, but that doesn't mean you don't pay attention you still have to do your due diligence of um, lifestyle choices, um, eating, following the the recommended food guides, getting sleep, exercising. And what I mean by exercising, just brisk 30-minute daily walk. You do that every day. Um, It will last the test of time. If you don't come from good genetic stock, then you've really got to work extra harder and really pay attention to those three things, sleep, exercise, eat well. Um, And as things happen to you, and you'll become more of a survivor if stressors happen to you, um, uh, but you will, again, age better than if you completely ignore it and say oh well nothing can be done and I'm just going to let things happen to me I hope that's helpful
3: I, I'm here and I'm wondering if I come from good genetic stock
6: <laughs>
3: <laughs> and, well, I come from good Cape Breton stock
7: <laughs> so so it's it's almost like you yeah. have to pay attention so if you you know if your parents have been um struggling with chronic disease, then it's like well, heads up, okay, they're giving me precious information that you have the ability to do it differently than they did, um and work on that really hard and keep okay. adapting stressors happen.
3: So, with, so, for our listeners, it might be a good time to objectively visit their their parents' quality of life and maybe whatever chronic conditions they may or may not have, and also behavior, social structure. But the key is objectively, so you can put together an equation and maybe, if you're lucky, identify areas that you need to strengthen and also areas that are already strong. Is that what is that Would that be accurate?
7: Absolutely.
3: Okay. Okay. Perfect. And this book you were mentioning, could you mention the name again because I know some people would like so that. It's
7: Jerry Friedman. Mhm. Earth's Elders: The Wisdom of the World's Oldest People.
3: Okay, thank you. And you could probably get that on Amazon? Yes, you can. Okay, excellent. Now, the other thing I'd like to ask Every day when you go to work, you look at the world through a unique lens because you, as you used the word earlier, you have the privilege of working with seniors and their families. There's a tool that you use, and I would assume that you use it frequently, and it's called a geriatric medicine consultation. And what I'd love for you to share with us is why is it so important and what is it? What is a geriatric medicine consultation?
7: Um, I'm going to start by saying what it's not, and that is (laughs) it is not an illness focus. And why I want to say that is because in healthcare systems we focus on illness you have you know pneumonia you have a bad foot you have a sore hip it's all a one part illness focus a geriatric medicine consultation which another um phrase is called a comprehensive geriatric assessment That word comprehensive is so important because we look at the entire person combining the medical uh, situation with the social situation and the environmental aspects of that person's whole well-being and health. Um, And from that collective comprehension, we can... um, um, come up with a plan that is meaningful for that person in the family so that they can continue to um, journey.
4: Mm-hmm.
7: It sort of works on and respects human evolution, our assessments. Um, when, you know, we begin to stand, our first thing in our human evolution is we stand and, you know, we um, then develop the ability to think and divide our attention. Then we develop the ability to hold on to things, which leads to meaningful daily functioning. And then we learn social interactions. You know, those are the building, you know, we give, you know, um, uh, at, from the time of birth, we give children the building blocks so that they can stand, attend, hold on, and then socialize. So what our comprehensive assessment does is values that, because in the adult stage of a person's life, they make lots of choices, and that's their choices to make. And those choices are good ones, and they're not so good ones. And and you have to um, embrace what happens as a result of those choices. So then when you become an older person and you're in your later life, we have to attend to that those human aspects to keep people standing and thinking and functioning and and interacting with others. And how do we do that? That's what we do. And take a while. It takes a. While.
3: But this assessment, where do you get the tools or the diagnostics to plug into the comprehensive? assessment are they industry i'm going back to my high tech area i'm using words from there are they research tools that have been extrapolated yes. well, and applied
7: How- yes but there there are um tools that are based on um evidence and and but they're not standardized yet okay um, in other words, uh, you will see it happening in pockets um uh the goal and the vision is is to get it standardized, so no matter where I am as an older person in the world that I get that same approach um and I know here in Nova scotia um in the twelve years I have been here working and practicing. That's our researchers down in the academic centers, so that's in your university centers, where they are working on the tools, the processes, and validating them and testing them out and then disseminating them. So we do now um, here have a comprehensive form. Of course, you need to be trained in using it. A form is just a form. It's how do Mm -hmm. I use it. Um, to pr- produce meaningful outcomes. And um, so we are getting those, and within that form we have other tools to help us answer those questions and measurements. Yeah. And so in your opinion, how
3: much is, of this tool, how much is objective and how much is subjective?
7: Um, you can, oh, that's a good question. <laughs> that's a good question, um, I guess. Yes, because here's welcome to medicine. I mean, the objective tool is there, but you can never um exclude clinical judgment and reasoning, and that's what's happening in healthcare is we want check off lists and we want uh screening tests and essentially don't think. I just check off the boxes and off you go. It's not going to work with older adults because we're way too complex. We have way too much um, experience that we're bringing with us as, as individuals, persons, when we're being evaluated. So I need that clinician to have clinical judgment and reasoning, to know not just to fill out, the form or use the tool but how is the that relating to me and is it relating to me is, so there's, it's going to
3: be 50-50 ok and it sounds to me what you're saying is when you're administering this type of tool or any type you need to not lose sight that you're dealing with a human being who has many levels and who's
7: complex Right. And and Mildred, it's about yeah, exactly that because it's a shared conversation. So, it's not a one-way street, which is typical in healthcare. The conversation is usually one way. In a comprehensive geriatric assessment, the conversation is a two-way. Um I need to get input from families who know their loved one really well, far better than I would. Likewise, we have to listen to that older person as well because they may have information that maybe they haven't shared with their family, but um, through the process the family's learning what they didn't know. So it's Actually, as I'm saying it, it's not just a two-way street. It usually, a conversation, it can end up being a three-way or even more of a mm. constant loop back and forth.
3: It sounds almost like a living organism. Yes, three. yes. Yeah, it has to be honored. Now, with the geriatric medical consultation, that you administer as part of, of your I was going to say as part of your service offering as <laughs> a yes, geriatric
1: yes. specialist. Um how how
3: has that been received? Do people like it,
7: not like it? Uh they love it. Um oh, okay. the feedback I get is I'm for the first time being heard. Um Yeah, full stop. I mean, that's what I hear every day. Uh, Nobody has asked me these kinds of questions. Nobody has heard my side of it. Um, Thank you very much. Keep things simple. They love, you know, at the end of the day, I say keep, you know, life is complex, so when we can keep it simple, let's keep it simple. And um, they all appreciate that, too. So from... Um, a person in their family it's well received. I know from colleagues um they equally well receive it because when they get the assessments back um it um hopefully and most times makes the complex situation clearer um I try to simplify it, knowing that it's a mm-hmm. complex problem it's it's, it's, it's You can't really simplify it, but I do my best to try to break it down into components so that 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 primary care practitioner can then partner with the person and their collective supporters, which may be family and friends, to move forward and journey forward with um, the recommendations or the opinions at that time.
3: What I really liked about it was that it, and how I see it as being a useful tool in a practical sense is that it identifies the areas that can be strengthened. So if you yeah. have limited time or limited resources, well, this is where we can focus and we can expect to have some positive results, potentially. Right. So I really, really liked that, and I liked the different sections because it was very clear.
7: Right, because... The other, we tend to do a one-shoe-fits-all, but that's not right. So what is the one part that, yes, you work on now because it'll bring meaning right now, and we can work on the other parts over time?
3: So, Paula, is it like an onion? Would that be a good analogy? You're going to deal with one part of focus, and then when you have that dealt with, maybe look at another, or is that not a good analogy?
7: Well, it 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 is in a way, but they're all interrelated. So all the multiple layers, you can't just peel it off and then think that that's you've dealt with it because you haven't. It's still there. So it's always an interplay. Yeah. So it's a nice Cape Breton stew. Right. <laughs> <laughs>
4: that is good. Uh, Now, I'd like to
3: ask you, because as I said earlier, you you have such a a privilege of being in the front row in this this field. When you are dealing with your patients, are there common medical problems or social challenges that show up again and again and again for patients and their family? Um,
7: Absolutely. Uh, Generally speaking, they all are are um, um, I don't want to say, they're muddling through with unrecognized vulnerabilities and the most and those vulnerabilities I'm referring to as the chronic vascular diseases um, that you know they have you know they're survivors of a heart attack or a stroke or complications of diabetes um, and they're not really Realizing that it is a vulnerability that needs to be respected, um, the other unrecognized vulnerability is cognitive impairment or um dementia um and um not recognizing how um end of life planning needs to be um embraced um even when one as well. So the common theme with all that it's it's well, because it's not recognized um they're being weighed down so this these collective vulnerabilities I I like the term it's like rocks in a knapsack they're piling mm-hmm. up and holding us down but because they're unrecognized no one feels empowered that they can adapt and so it's leading to that ageism. Um and I see that a lot, so then, when they go through the assessment with me or any one of my colleagues and and we go, "Oh, you know, we can adapt and we can plan, and we get excited. We often get this look of what planet is she on, <laughs> but it's because <laughs> i go i I understand why they look at me like that because they're um seeing it as unrecognized and ageism, and I can't do anything. Where I see it as an opportunity to adapt and plan. Um, so, um, the other thing that I'm humbled about because I do see people that know their vulnerabilities and they want to adapt and plan. However, the society and community itself and even the healthcare system hasn't got buy in from that. So, they um, have nowhere to turn when they want to turn to adapt and plan nobody's there to receive them and reciprocate um, and a good example of that is that they we all want to age at home and we all want to age in the community thank goodness we have institutional care but there's a time and a place for it it shouldn't be well that's your passage go no don't i have a choice sure we have a choice but we need to have buy-in from our community and and the system um and we need to advocate for that so um when i'm wanting to adapt i can um connect with somebody who will allow me to adapt the way i would like to
3: yeah. I don't know if you had a chance to read. I believe there was an article that came out that talked about the Pope, and he addressed that issue, and he was encouraging people to rethink about the almost reflex or automatic perception that as you age, your destination is an institution. So bringing this this think this group think to a world stage so i'm i'm interested to watch that to see what comes out of that what trickles out from that particular focus his focus and i'm sure other people are focusing too on that did you see did you read the article
7: no i haven't no okay
3: I'll send, I'll send it to you, and I'll also post a link on Facebook and on LinkedIn for our listeners and on Blog Talk Radio in case they're interested in that. So right now, we're going to change the energy a little bit, and we're going to enjoy a musical interlude of about two minutes to give you a chance, Paula, to rest your voice. You've been doing a beautiful job. And we're going to listen to Kay Breton's own Dolores Butchow. Boudreaux, excuse me, and she's going to sing an absolutely uplifting song. And when we come back, we're going to talk about a wonderful concept in geriatrics about unconditional positive regard. And I think this is something that if we all added to our lives, the world would be a better place. So how does that sound to you? Excellent. Okay, so let's welcome Dolores Boudreaux, and we'll be back Right after
4: the break,
1: you mm-hmm. Per- Lot of
2: Listening to Healing Conversations with host Mildred Lynn McDonald on Firefly Willows LIVE. Find out more at FireflyWillows.com. Enjoy the show.
3: And we're back. It's Mildred Lynn McDonald, and we're talking to Dr. Paula Creighton from beautiful Cape Breton Island, Nova Scotia. We're talking about aging well more specifically geriatrics, and we're going to move into the area of unconditional positive regard. Are you there, Paula? I am. Excellent. Now, the concept of unconditional positive regard, I read about this in the geriatric package that you offer, and I must say it's a lovely package, and I learned a lot. Wondering if you could speak to this concept and why it's so important as a communication style when you're interacting with a person who's adapting.
7: Yeah, unconditional positive regard is used uh, in person-centered care. Um, And person-centered means accepting and respecting the person in that moment, without judgment, so when we apply that to dementia, a person with dementia, you know the dementia does not define the person, so we're not talking so much about the person, but the symptom that the illness um, um, that comes out um from that expresses? illness. Yeah, expresses. Thank you, Mildred. Okay. So the um, symptom is an expression of the dementia, not the person. So if we're using unconditional positive regard when we're communicating with an individual with dementia, when they have a behavior, our first step is to say not to focus on the behavior physical aggression, let's say that's the behavior, physical aggression. We're going to say, we're going to stop, and in this unconditional positive regard, we're going to say to ourselves that physical aggression is, a, is an unmet need for this person. And if I take that approach at that time, my first step is to put myself in that person's shoes and validate how they're feeling at the time. Bring truth to that anger, that fear, that repre- that, that physical aggression represents. By doing that, right away, that person won't escalate. They will actually, for the most part, stop and pause which is very helpful because then you both can stop and pause and then that gives you an opportunity to move in a different direction or just to walk away and come back and that moment will be gone and you'll be into another mo- um, moment does that help it
3: does and and I'm, as you were explaining that I'm remembering when I read the information on unconditional positive regard, it talked to when a person maybe doesn't have their memory at 100% and they may not get everything correct, perhaps you could entertain the idea of not correcting them.
7: Absolutely. Because if you correct them, they're going to feel um, fearful, um or ashamed, or um, they'll get verbally aggressive or physically aggressive to express those emotions if they can't actually demonstrate them. Yeah.
3: And the other thing that came into me as you were talking was it's almost the equivalent of when people are functioning and they say they get mad, you invite them to count to ten before they act. So to me, this is almost, in the context of dementia, this is this is part of that equation. It's almost like, well, make sure you count to 10.
7: Right, before the caregiver you would yeah. count to 10, because that way, after you hit number 10, you're in a better frame of mind and focus to respond to the situation at an emotional level, where if you didn't take that 10... Second time out, you're going to react to the situation, and you're going to react to the action, and rather the meaning behind it.
3: So, Paula, I think you and I should get on a plane and go over to the United Nations, and we should present this concept because I think it's excellent. It, it I'm with you. Implications.
7: <laughs> well, and and it also can extend even. Beyond dementia care, I always say that the, um, dementia illness really teaches us how we should all behave normally. Um, and and I'll bring an example. It's it's in healthcare. We in terms of medication management, we use the word the person hasn't been compliant with the medications that's been prescribed. Well, that word compliance is is actually a judgment. That uh, they haven't followed what we have suggested is going to be helpful for them. We need to give that up and start using the word the person isn't adherent to the medication. And that even just changing a word changes the dynamics of the relationship because then, as a practitioner to the person, I I'm now saying, what are your barriers to using the medications? Um, what's happening, what did it cause that um, we weren't expecting. So it brings that partnership. Uh, Because we don't do that when we're well, it's quite a struggle uh, when the same health care providers and even families and friends, when they're approaching a person with dementia, uh, we bring that same... Um, inadequate communication strategies to them. And then we wonder why things don't go well.
4: Yeah,
3: and it almost relates to when we were talking earlier about when is it time to let go. That's a pattern, a communication pattern that potentially could make a person feel defensive rather than open and receptive. Right. I I love this. I absolutely love it. And and I think that's one of the gifts that geriatrics is bringing to the world is through this concept of unconditional positive regard, now I want to move on a little bit because I know there are people listening there are people listening all over the place in Canada and the u s and they're saying, "You know what? I have a senior in my life or an aging parent or whatever, and I'm concerned about their health and well being I love you know my my mother or my father or my relative or my neighbor." but I don't know where to go for help. Can you share what you feel are some first steps?
7: Absolutely. And even I'll add, even if it's I'm the person, you know, mm-hmm. it could be me that go, I, I'm aging and and maybe I could do a better job. I uh, The first, well, I guess the first step is many things all at once. I, I want to uh, bring your listeners to um, the uh, New York Times. Uh, um there's a weekly series uh with Paula Span called The New Old Age. It is fabulous and it's online as well and it um is an abundant uh resource uh to tap into. At the same time it empowers you to have that kind of um knowledge will empower you as your next first step is to go to your primary care practitioner and if it's not a geriatric medicine specialist as it could be in in the United States and I'm not sure if every state um has a wealth of them I I don't know that but you ha- you must go to your family care practitioner first and Um, bring it to their attention, and know that you might have to educate him or her right from the get-go, and not to stop if the conversation is only going one way, is to keep pushing through and ask to see a generalist, like geriatric medicine. we're generalists because we look at the whole picture for your problem before going Having your practitioner send you to a sub- subspe- sub specialist um such as you know cardiology neurology that sort of breaks you apart to say, "Why don't you send me first to um a generalist uh geriatric medicine, and then we may have to go to a sub sub specialist so that that's the two things that I would do as the first step, get the knowledge and the New York Times that Paula Spann does a fabulous job of getting that background, and then advocate with your primary care practitioner.
3: Yeah, I really like that. So envisioning someone going to their doctor, um, and requesting, not to be discouraged, but going educated and requesting to see a general specialist in this area like yourself before breaking the body parts apart, or maybe a cardiologist or a neurologist. And I would say many, many people don't even know that this is available.
7: That's right. And. Mm-hmm. uh and and at the same time to know your primary care practitioner that you're in a partnership with them and that at at times and at many times you need to enlighten and um, enlighten them about um, what might be out there and to go looking.
3: Yeah, excellent. Now, on a personal level. You do this work. It's your vocation. I know you're excellent at it because I had a comment on Facebook <laughs> to that, that said you are excellent in your field. And I know, on a, as I said, on a personal level, you're able to see the beauty of the human spirit by working with the elderly population. What nuggets of wisdom or awe ah moments or perspective shifts have you personally experienced by being in this arena?
7: Um, I want to say um through all of my experiences um is uh taking the time in a limited amount of time to know the personhood cuz that's central to the care plan in the later stage of your life. Um and what I mean by that is is to take um, you know, if they're 90 years old, I have to very quickly, but it's so important to understand and appreciate and embrace the choices that they've made through their life and their preferences and what that has um, done to them. Um, and then um, help them incorporate and assist them and advise them into what that journey is going to now be in the later stages. Um and then, and in doing that, um, bringing what I know to say that maybe fix and cure isn't a viable option that you're looking for, but certainly comfort and quality is, and this is how we can do that, and and that's an easier conversation to have when I understand and appreciate that personhood, who's in front of me, what's meaningful, Um That's what I've learned over the years um, of how best I can partner with frail older adults and their families and their primary care doctor.
3: So when you, after you meet with an elderly person, do you feel fulfilled? Do you feel warm? Do you feel complete?
7: I do. I do. Um, I have to tell you what I struggle professionally with is, you know, the consultation role because um I do they, they leave um my arena um and I do my best to outline a plan and I do say uh, you know bring me back in um as you need me um there isn't. I don't have control over that. So I'm. I'm just hopeful that the collective, uh, if they're stumbling along the way, would uh, reinvest in me, reconsult, so that I could come <laughs> back in again. It happens sometime, but not all the time. And so that, um, professionally, is something I'm still trying to come to terms with um, in a consulting. Role in this area of medicine uh, versus down in the states when they're primary care, where they will partner right through the journey. Do, do you see the difference?
3: I do, and I'm wondering in Canada, specifically in Canada, because I know the people now that they know about this or they know more about this option. How would they re-engage you? Is it through the family physician? They would continue to yes. request your seat at the table?
7: Yes, I would hope so because I'm okay. a firm believer I never want to um, leave the primary care doctor out of the loop um, because they are the core with the person and their family to journey. So I think it, in any area of health care, we should always include the primary care practitioners so they can be part of the overall plan and conversations so I would ask and I and I try my best to say um, let me know how I can assist further and that they would do that um, rather than when a problem comes up sub sub specializing it bring it back to this um, generalist um, perspective and then we might see whether it needs to be sent further to, you know, another subspecialist if it mm-hmm. aligns up with what that person, um care plan looks like.
3: Okay. I understand that. That makes a lot of sense. And I know that there's, there's people listening that find that hugely helpful and I bet the light bulb has gone on over many heads after listening to you speak. I wanted to know what's coming up for you next
7: year. What does life look fo- look like for you? Um. Well, on a personal level, my husband yeah. and I and the two dogs were, were thinking of downsizing. That means um, our house size and getting rid of stuff and adapting and moving into town rather than in the beautiful country coastal side of Cape Breton. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm smiling as I say this because it's my lessons learned from all of the older adults that I've seen is that where I am right now, my size and my house and the stuff I have and where I am out in the country has served me well, but now I need to downsize and adapt as I'm going forward. Um, okay. And I want to do that while I still can um, rather than waiting until it's happening to me <laughs> behind the eight yeah. mile. So that's what I'm yeah. doing personally. <laughs> People okay. laugh at me when they hear that. They go, oh, you're way too young. But again, it's nothing to do with Age is just about, you know. I I uh, I want to keep adapting. I want to keep changing. I want to be where services are, um, where I can keep connected. Um, I I want that uh, kind of freedom, right? Um, and what about so your? Two, I believe you have two rescue dogs. Is that what you're? I have. Yes, I have two rescue dogs, both Golden Retrievers, and uh, we have one into pet therapy, um, and she visits uh, two nursing homes uh, in the area. And uh, the other one is uh, just one, so hopefully we'll get her trained to be a therapy dog as well. So when we downsize, we still need a big enough yard so they can run around and play.
3: Yeah, that's what I was I was thinking. 'Cause you have your yeah. your people downsizing and your, your beautiful animal downsizing too. Yeah,
7: that's right. And professionally, <laughs> well what's on the horizon for me is uh, co- you know, um I've just started a primary health care collaborative um to translate the knowledge that I have and bring it to my uh primary care family medicine colleagues. So they can feel empowered to do some of it in their um, settings of, of the health care. And I'd also like to expand that to interprofessional um, colleagues um, and do a collaborative that's with um, physical therapy, occupational therapy, social work, um, just to do some more formal collaboration with those disciplines so that in an ideal world, we all know our place um, and our roles and what we could really bring in a formalized way to an older person. Mm, I like that. That would be a big like, job.
3: And it also sounds like fodder to have you back next year for an update. Okay. <laughs> no, I want to ask you, if there's anything you'd like to share with our listeners before we sign off. But before we do this, I can't help myself. I have to share that last week in Sebastopol, where I live in California, we had two Cape Bretoners visiting. One was Mary Jane Lammond, who sings beautiful Gaelic songs and laments, and a great fiddler, Wendy MacIsaac. And, of course, being the great Cape Breton Patriot that I am, I got their CD, and there's a beautiful song on it. It's called The Blue Mountain Lullaby, and basically it's about the Scottish people coming over to Cape Breton. They settle by this mountain, and then they have to leave, and the mountain is crying out, Why are you leaving? And it's just it sounds pretty sad, but it's a it's a beautiful song. It does have a happy ending and Paula, I would love to play play that, and when I come back, I'd love to ask you if there's anything that you would like to leave our listeners with either to think about or an affirmation or a quote or something to tie up everything in a bow before we sign up and go about our Sunday. How does that sound? Great. Okay, let's listen to Mary Jane Lamont, and you'll notice the beautiful, beautiful fiddling of Wendy McIsaac.
2: You're listening to Healing Conversations with host Mildred Lynn McDonald on Firefly Willows L-I-V-E. Find out more at FireflyWillows.com. Enjoy the show.
3: And we're back again. We're talking with Dr. Paula Creighton about aging well in geriatrics. Are you there, Paula?
7: I am, and I'm just uh, sitting here saying when I arrived here 12 years ago, one of the things I really embraced was the Celtic music. I just love it.
3: I was, I was singing that song yesterday. I I don't mm-hmm. speak Gaelic, so I kind of meld through the words, <laughs> through the sounds, but uh, it's so rich, and I thought it would be a good song to feature because it is the language has aged well. We are in an ancient culture with the Celtic culture, and maybe that could give a little perspective to our listeners of how to look at the aging process.
7: Absolutely. It stands
3: the test of time. It stands the test of time. So before we sign off, and I do that very reluctantly because I love your topic area and I love talking to you because you share your insight and your wisdom and your knowledge so well, so well for this medium. Is there anything that you'd like to share with our listeners? just for them to take with them?
7: Well, I have this little plaque in my office, and it says, Youth is a gift, age is an art. The author is uh, anonymous, but I wanted to leave with that because for me, it is what we want, and that is to give children the building blocks for healthy development, and then to embrace when we make our choices as an adult, good or bad or indifferent, that then in our later stages of our life we keep changing and adapting to cope with the limited reserve we have and the diminishing reserve because you can still get joy and happiness and contentment in the later stages. And then overall things just happen with you and for you and not to you. Yeah, I
3: love that. You mentioned that before, Having aging in a way that things are not happening to you because when it happens to you, it takes away your power. Right. If you partner with the process and also with insightful health practitioners like yourself in the form of a partnership, as you mentioned, it's a journey. And we're all going. We're All, go- all we're going of us that are up.
7: above ground are all going in the same direction.
3: Right,
7: right. and some of us, <laughs> if we're privileged, longer than others.
3: But- exactly, exactly. So, Paula, thank you very, very much for being here. As I shared earlier, I would love to have you back on the show, and I want to share with our listeners, if you found this time together, this conversation, this healing conversation, Useful, and you would like to share it with other people. Simply cut and paste the link into an email and send it to whomever. And our time together is also available twenty four by seven on Block Talk Radio in the Block Talk Radio archives, and you can always always access uh, Dr. Paula Creighton's information and wisdom on iTunes in the form of a podcast. So. We're able to get the information out there to whomever needs it, and it's beautiful information. It's relevant information. It's important information. So, Dr. Paula Creighton, thank you so much for making yourself available. And as I said,
7: I'll say it for the third time, we would love to have you back
3: next year for an update.
7: Well, you're welcome, and thank you, Mildred Lynn. Have a great day in Cape Breton same to you in California
0: okay bye for now bye
2: this program was brought to you by fired by willows live we hope you enjoyed the show healing conversations with Mildred Lynn airs the first Sunday of the month at 1030 a.m. pacific standard time enjoy nourishing conversations thought-provoking guests personal growth tools, compassionate guidance, practical tips, plus a generous sprinkling of East Coast humor and warmth. You'll also love our popular roundtable discussions featuring Pisces Lutmers, John Carasella, and Mildred Lynn. For more information, please go to HealingConversationsWithMildredLynn.com. Please join us next time on Firefly Willows L-I-V-E for Revolution with Pisces Lutmers. Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m.